You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. You would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. This will be our concluding sermon in Romans chapter 8. We're going to continue on into chapter 9 next week. It'll be a fast frenzy next week as we cover a lot of ground. Today we're covering what seems to be a lot of ground compared to some of our sermons through Romans 8. We're going to be looking at Romans 8 verse 31 through verse 39 to end this series that we have called Set Free. And next week we'll actually end it as we kind of culminate it and what that means for us further out than even today's message. But I want you to be prepared for this and that we've been talking about the idea that we have been set free. We see this idea from chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. It points out in there that we have been set free from condemnation. There's no longer no comp- condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And so we have been set free from the worry of that, the concern of that, the burden of that, uh, the, the pressure of that. And as we continue on to the end of this, it's like the apex. Everything's been building up, not just in Romans chapter 8, not even just from last week in 8 or two weeks ago from 8, 28 through 30, but all the way from chapter 5 on through now and maybe even through chapter 1, verse 18 on through now. We see that God is culminating all these things up through the scriptures as the Holy Spirit's leading Paul and he's apexing it up into this kind of moment where he's telling us what does all this mean for us? I mean, Romans is definitely the greatest in depth as far as the breadth and the depth of it, the, the, the greatest theological treatise of our faith and whole that we have in the scriptures. And so when you read this, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to lose your way. There's so many pieces to it. There's so much depth to all of this. But all of it ramps up until he makes a switch right after this. And he's kind of culminating it. Everything's pointing up to this apex right here in chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. And I think what he's saying to us is what he was saying to the original church that this was written to, the church at Rome, which might have had Jews and Gentiles together. In other words, Jewish people and those who were not Jewish together in the church. Then it looks like the Jews might have been kicked out of Rome for a season. And then that they've come back into the church and there's some problems there in the church. And Paul is addressing some of that to show about how all together we are part of one family now. We're a part of one church and how the old, the stuff from the Israelite traditions and the Israelite history is very important for us to understand our faith and our salvation, to understand the gospel. And that if we're unified in the gospel, that no matter what we go through, we have great hope. And that's what he's pointing to all the way leading up to this point. In fact, I would say to us today that this particular set of verses is going to tell us how we need to respond to seasons of suffering, which is what the Roman church was going through. Seasons of persecution, which is what they were going through. And difficult times in general, which is what they were going through. And we too, we may not feel persecuted in the same ways, but we definitely go through seasons of suffering. We go through seasons that are difficult. We go through seasons that are overwhelming. And as we do, Paul brings us to the truth of the gospel to set our hearts free in Jesus. And today we're going to see how that carries out starting in verse 31 as he sums it up. Let me pray for us before we go any further in our time together. Father, I am unable in my own abilities to rightly exposit, preach, teach your word. I pray this morning that you would use me, a sinner, whom you have saved by much grace 
the grace afforded me and all of us in Jesus Christ, your son, on the cross in our place. So today, I pray that you would guide our hearts to find hope in your son, in the fact that you have loved us so much that you would give us Jesus so that we could be yours forever and ever. And let your word speak this truth deeply, not just to our minds, but into our hearts to change us so that we might walk differently, might speak differently, might love differently, and so that you would be magnified. And I ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look, Romans 8, verse 31 through 39. Paul's just got through. I'm going to back up a little bit in verse 28, actually. He, he says this, is we know, after all these things before, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. He doesn't say that for everybody all things work together for good, but for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that all things, good, bad, ugly, joyous, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let me see verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he says then, verse 31, look back, let's just break it down. What then? What then shall we say? To these things. I mean, you go back and read these things. Like in verses 1 through 4, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We deserve it. We, we deserve to be separated from the love and grace and mercy of God and to be condemned for all eternity. But instead, now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What do we say to this? Uh, we don't have the right words to praise God for these things. What do we say when we face suffering, and he, which he says to us that we will not be with him unless we are suffering with Christ? What do we say to this language? What do we say to these things? I mean, specifically looking back to what we saw in verse 28, 29, 30, as it leads right in, what do we say to these things? He said, what do we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, we know that 
it's easy to say that and say, well, there are many people that could come against us. We know the enemy is against us. He comes against us. That Satan works against us. That he does not want us to glorify God. He does not want us to live lives that reflect Jesus. He does not want others to come to faith. So, yeah, there are people that actually will come against us. Satan, probably a chief of that. Many people might come against us. We know that some unbelievers will come against us because they disagree with us, that some might come against us. And it's not talking about everything. You can't blame everybody that's not on the same page with you on this text. We're talking about those that come against us in our faith. You might even find sometimes that believers come against you. You know, we, we saw in our video that sometimes churches split. There are problems within the church. Go figure, we're broken people trying to do life together. We need grace, much grace in Jesus. We can be sure that some will come against us. Sometimes you may even feel like some are against you, and it may not be, but you don't know that, and it will feel overwhelming just as much as it would if it were true. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't mean people won't come against us, but it believes that if we are in Christ, then God is for us. And when you put that in context, everything else pales. Let them come against us. For what can they do to us when Jesus already came for us and has secured us through, our, through his death, burial, and resurrection, which is now our death, burial, and resurrection? If God is for us, who can be against us? We've been set free from the worry of who will come against us because God is for us. And he secured our salvation. And we know, right? So it says in verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So do you believe that truth? What do you do? What, 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 what do we do when those times of suffering, those seasons of difficult times come against us? I'm going to encourage you today to believe the truth that you already know. To believe the truth that we see in the Word today. And when you say, I, I believe, but I'm struggling, you, you cry out like the man did in Scripture. says, I believe, but help my unbelief, Lord. Or you go back to the earlier part here in Romans 8 where he says, we cry out to God, Abba, Father. We don't have any words sometimes. Help, help, help me when I'm suffering, when I'm struggling, when I'm overwhelmed. Believe it. God is for us. And who can effectively be against us is more the statement. Who can really do anything to be against us when the king of the universe is for us, that he's proven it by giving us Jesus to bring us into his family? So what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Look what it says in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Believe it, number one, that God is for us. And here we see in this text, believe that God will give us all that we need. His illustration here is enough. We will go further, but look what he says again, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's basically saying, if he gave us the most valuable, the most beautiful, the most wonderful, the most life-changing, the only thing that could bring you from death to life thing, if he gave you that already, then how will he not give you all the other things you need which are lesser than that in value and greatness? We can believe him because he's already proven it by giving us the greatest of things. The greatest of things. He will give us all that we need. Now, do not take this to be what so many have taken and said that he will give you whatever you want. Do not take this to mean that he will give you what you think you need because it may not be what you truly need. 
And there are many, many, many who have fallen by the wayside because they put their faith in a genie in a bottle they call God and not because they put their faith in the God who knows best. So you may think that you need relief from pain. And God may say, not yet, I'm not through shaping you through that. I'm not through using those moments in your pain to bring glory to myself because another will come to faith through that one day or even now. I'm not through using that difficult season in your life that you're walking through that feels like you can't take one more day and you want it gone. I know better for you because you will enjoy eternity with me even more if it's sustained for a little longer. And that difficult, overwhelming thing now will feel like a light momentary affliction in light of eternity with me. He may be saying to you, he doesn't give you all that you think you need. He gives you what you need. In fact, the scripture says, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How do we know it's not all things? Because we know he doesn't give you all a billion dollars, right? You're not all driving Maseratis. So it has to be in the context of all things else in Scripture. And we see here, we know that he gives us all the things that we need. God will give us, put it in context, everything we need to be conformed to the image of Jesus. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So he will do whatever it takes to shape you and mold you into the greatest you you could possibly be, which will most rightly reflect the glory of Jesus, which will be the greatest thing he could possibly do for you or for me. Everything we need to do God's will, he will make sure we have. Everything we need to make it to eternal life, he's already made sure in giving us Jesus. Everything we need to be good with God and enjoy him forever, he has provided for us already. God will give us everything we need because our God is for us. He is not against us. I, I don't know about you. I'm a guy that has studied a lot about personalities, and, and I know that in my particular, particular type of personality, I tend to oftentimes kind of just by starting point, I have to work hard not to fall into this. By starting point, I often think people are not on my team. You know what I mean? That people are against me. Maybe there's a few of you in here. Statistically, I know there are. I'm here to tell you, though, that no matter how it feels, no matter how lonely it feels, no matter how afflicted you feel, no matter how overwhelmed you feel, God, if you are in Christ, if you are here today hearing the gospel message that God is drawing you now or he's already drawn you into his family, God is for you. And we know it because he's proved it in giving us Jesus. He paved the way in Jesus. He is for you. He's for what's best for you. So we know he will give us all that we need. Look at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? We know some will, don't we? Some of you have experienced that in various ways. I'm sure many of us have. Who will, though, bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who is it that should bring any charge against God's elect? Listen, you and I, if we are in Christ, need to believe this truth that is very important. We see it started way before, but it's definitely hit in verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ 
Jesus. No matter who accuses you, the great accuser himself, the enemy, or others who accuse you, if you are in Christ, you have not anything to worry for because who will bring a charge against those who are God's chosen children? Who would bring a charge against you? Jesus knows what it's like to be accused. He was falsely accused. He was brought before a a mock tribunal. He was falsely accused in so many ways, beaten almost to death, tortured, mocked, shamed, murdered, even though he was completely innocent. And we know that none of us are completely innocent in any situation, especially in our relationship with God. In our place, though, Jesus stood condemned so that we do not have to be condemned, so that we cannot be condemned now. No one can bring condemnation on us because in Christ, we've been set free from that. Do not let somebody place upon you what is not yours that Jesus bore for you on the cross. You cannot carry it because it is not yours. He purchased it on the cross with his blood. You are his. In our place, he died on the cross. The only truly innocent one bore the full weight of our sin, enduring the full wrath of God that we deserve for all eternity, even to the point of death, death on the cross. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For we are covered by the sacrificial, good, righteous, cleansing blood of our Savior, Jesus. Our God is for us, brothers and sisters. Our God is for us. So don't walk around as one condemned from someone else accusing or from you accusing yourself. So many of us beat our own selves up. Worse than others can even beat us up. Some of us walk under what we perceive others to condemn us from. Some walk under true condemnation from others. And it doesn't matter which of those you fit into. I'm saying today you've been set free in Jesus. 2,000 years ago, he bought that, he wore that, he buried that, and he rose in new life. And you too, with him, in new life, have been raised. So believe, the devil will accuse you. Others might accuse you. You will accuse yourself, but no one can accuse you successfully because it is God who justifies you. And he's the king. He's the top court of appeals. So believe, not in yourself, but believe in the all-powerful king of the universe who has set you free from condemnation. He has set you free from condemnation by condemning Jesus in your place, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might declare you righteous. Our God is for us, brothers and sisters. This is good news. This is enjoyable to talk about. This makes my heart overflow with joy to see you and know that so many of you are saved and are in that. There's no condemnation. But it breaks my heart that some in here probably know that truth but do not know Jesus in a real personal way. And while we celebrate, there are some who may not find that freedom in Christ. But they're brothers and sisters who just do not believe today. Not because they're bad or worse sinners than we are, but just because they need the encouragement of the Holy Spirit today. So I have prayed and prayed for the encouragement of the Holy Spirit today. I encourage you to pray for the encouragement of the Holy Spirit to fall on our people and to fall on those who might hear or listen to this today. Our God is for us. And if you do not know this God I'm talking about, today if you put your hope and faith in Jesus, you can know him. If you're listening today, it is not not by coincidence. 
It is because the God who, before the foundation of the world, set apart a time that you would hear this truth today. And he set it in your heart to listen. And he's bringing it into focus in you now. And cry out to him, Abba, Father, and put your hope and faith in Jesus today. And you too can have a God who is for you. Verse 34 again. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Some of us walk around like we are dying. And we are. The moment you're born, right, you begin to move towards death. But it is not death for us. (laughs) It is not death. It is a step into the known, not even the unknown. It is not a place of of wondering about or mystery. It is a place of glory that we anticipate because we have already tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And when he takes away all the problems that hinder our faith in him, we will experience him in true faith and we will enjoy him and be with him and walk with him forever. And it will be a good glorious life so let us not walk around like we are dead because we have a righteous victorious advocate who stands beside the father even now look again verse verse 43 sorry verse 34 who is to condemn christ jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of god who indeed is interceding for us we see just a few minutes ago if you look back at the scriptures and like verse 26 and 27 you see that the holy spirit is interceding on our behalf when we don't have the words to pray when we cannot pray as we ought the holy spirit intercedes for us giving words that are, are words we don't understand in our own self he gives words to that to the father intercedes and now we see that jesus the righteous the one who was condemned in our place he now stands in victory in righteousness in holiness and instead of sitting there lording it in a negative way over those who should be worshiping him but are not in their fullness, in the perfect righteousness that we cannot right now. He is instead interceding on our behalf even now. Every time you don't believe enough, he says, Father, it's okay. I died for him. Every time you fail, Father, it's okay. I I love her. I gave my life for her. Every time you struggle, Father, lift them up. I covered that in my blood. Give them what they need. Every time you hurt and don't have the words and crowd, Abba, Father, he's like, Dad, are you listening? I know you are. And of course the Father is listening. He's our advocate. He's our advocate. He stood in our place, condemned on the cross, even to the point of death. And even now Jesus is standing in the gap, interceding on our behalf. You never suffer alone, truly. When you suffer, Jesus advocates for you. When you struggle, Jesus prays for you. When you fail, Jesus intercedes for you. So prayer is, right, talking to the Father? We see Jesus talking about this in John chapter 17, verse 9. I am praying for them, he talks to his Father. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. He says in verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. That would have been nice, wouldn't it? It was right then, like, all with him. But not for the most of his glory. Not even for the most of our joy did he do that. He waited. I ask that you don't take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. 
Your word is truth. In other words, shape them in your truth. Shape them in your word. Do not let them go outside your word. Bring them according to your word and shape them. Whatever they have to go through, make them into what they were meant to be. Whatever they have to endure, do it for your glory, for their glorification, for their joy, for their enjoying you. Look, he says even to Peter, as Peter's about to betray him before Jesus goes to the cross, Peter doesn't think he's going to betray him. But he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Listen to this key words. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. In other words, you're going to fail, but when you turn back to me, when you repent, strengthen your brothers. They will need you like you have needed me to pray for you. He knows when you're going to fail. He is not surprised by your struggles. And he is for you and has been before the foundation of the earth. Has been for you. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see? God is for us. Our brother, God the Son, is for us. The interceder, the Holy Spirit, is for us, praying for us when we cannot pray. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You may think, well, I know that doesn't happen, but you probably go through seasons where you feel like it has happened. And maybe you've never come to faith yet and you are separated from the love of Christ. But if you today put your hope and faith in Jesus, you will never be separated from that love ever again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The implication of all these questions is no one. Look at verse 31. Let's go back and do it. It's just fun. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Say it. No one. No one. Who can be against us? No one. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It can't happen. He will, right? It's implicit. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? What is it? No one. No one can do that. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? No one. No one. Because Jesus was condemned for us. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Nobody can separate us from the love of Christ. And then he goes on to make it real, right? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And by the way, he's talking there in Psalm 44. I'm going to read it just a little bit more, verse 17 through 22. 17 through 22. He's saying this to say this. Some people would say this. Okay, when you go back and look, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No, because you would never have that because you're a follower of Jesus. Many people preach that message all the time. If you really have faith in Jesus, you won't go through those things. And right here, Paul cuts that out from under them. He says it right here by quoting this psalm. Verse 40, chapter 44, he quotes one verse. I'm going to give you the context. In Psalm 44, this is what is cried out. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, God. 
And we have not been false to your covenant. In other words, we haven't done anything to deserve this, but it's happening to us. We're righteous. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It does not mean, because God is for us, that you will not endure persecution. It does not mean that you will not endure famine or nakedness. In fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 6, you'll see it there in verse 30 through 33 where he talks about, don't be worrying about what you have to eat, what you have to drink, or what you have to wear. Our Father will take care of you, right? He says, you will go through that. He says, you've gone through that. People will go through that. We know people that have because of poverty or persecution. People will go through these things. But those things will not separate us from the love of Christ. If death comes for you, Paul says in Philippians, death is gain because you're with him. It's okay. It's our way into eternity with him where joy is forevermore. It's okay. Famine comes to you. You're hungry. Man, it's okay. The Lord is what you need. He is your sustenance. Shame Hey, Jesus endured all the shame you could ever imagine on the cross in your place for you. So you endure a little bit of shame here. It's okay. He'll bring you through it and he'll bring you to be with him and no more shame. He's already wiped that away even. When the Father sees you, he doesn't see shame. He sees the glorious, righteous, goodness, perfection of his son. You've been redeemed. Our God is for us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we are still sinners, needing the same grace of Jesus Christ today as the first day we met him. We still need that. And God loves us and still gives it to us, that same grace, because he is for us is for us for i'm sure he says that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord do you get what that means it means that satan can do nothing to separate you from the love of god the enemy can do nothing angels demons nobody can do anything to separate you from the love of god no matter what anybody does to you here they cannot take you out of the grasp of god no one can take you out of the hand of of God. Even you is what this is talking about. Even you cannot do that. If you are his, he will not leave you alone. If you are his, he will not let you go away. He has redeemed you. That blood will not be tainted. He will have you. He will chase you. He will bring you home. He will discipline you because he loves you, because he is for you. And it may not feel good all the time, but it is for your good all the time. Because he works all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. No matter how weak your faith, it cannot separate you from the love of God. When you run out of strength, Christ is still your strength. When you cannot get up, Christ was raised for you and now you know that you are raised by God in Christ Jesus as well. When you cannot take one more step forward, you are carried on the shoulders of your Savior. The great shepherd, like a sheep that he loves and cares for, but more so like a child, a brother or sister, his brother or sister. And when you fail or fall short, the perfect righteous one secures your salvation in his steady hand because that's upon whom it waits and rests and is owned by. 
Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So we are debtors. Not that we can earn our way back into his grace, but that Jesus earned it all for us. So we are debtors. Not that we try to pay him back, but that we love him because he first loved us. In fact, we see here, if we go back and look in these verses, Romans 8, 1 through 4, start in verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, cannot do. In other words, make our way back to God. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, in Jesus' flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So you think, man, he's going to do it in us. I'm going to adhere to all the law. And you know what? You're going to fail and you're going to fall and you're going to struggle and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to go, gosh, I can't do it. God must not love me right now. You're going to have these feelings of condemnation. No, you've been set free from those things. Listen to me, the righteous fulfilling of the law is not found in adhering to the, to the I's and the, the, the dots and the tittles and the T's and the crosses and the, all the pieces of it there. It's very simple. Later on in Romans 13, 8, if we were to carry on, we would find it. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. To love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. We should know it because Jesus says it, right? What is all the law summed up in? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul. And the second is much like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So if we would just let God's love push in us to believe and trust in him when struggles come, to cry out when we have not enough and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, to believe all these things in him, we would then love him because he first loved us. And in those moments of struggle, in those moments of persecution, in those moments of condemnation, in the moments of accusations, in the moments of difficulties, we would find that we can love all those around us as well because it is not I who live, but Christ that lives in me. It is not me who does this or that, but Christ who does that. And I wage war in my flesh and in my soul with myself and my sin, but God is for us and he has overcome already. So man, if we would just put our hope in him. It's easy to love God and love your neighbor when we receive the love of Christ. And we can never be separated from God's love for us because our God is for us. So we can endure all things. The suffering, the struggle, persecution, the accusations, the, the heartache, the loneliness, the, the desolation, the, 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 all the things you could think of. But we know that God works all these things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose because our God is for us. So let us then praise the king. Let our hearts ring forth with praise to the one alone who deserves it. Let us make much of him, Jesus Christ, our king, our savior, our Lord, our righteous one, our older brother who adopted us into his family through the work of him, by the calling of his Father, and by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Maybe today is the first time you're hearing this or the first time it's ringing true in your heart. And I beg you today, do not leave this place without bending the knee to the King. Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And my fear is that people we love and care about will be among those who never really had that relationship. And oh, what a glorious day in the presence of God as we are ushered into the kingdom. But what a terribly tragic, horrific day for those that we care and love for so much who may not be his now that we find out for sure are not there. 
Let us not find that out for you. We pray for you now. I pray for all of us, for myself. I pray for you, if you do not know him, that you would be converted and changed. And in a moment, we're going to sing. They're going to come up here and get ready as I pray. And then after that, we're going to celebrate life anew. As we have a young man who has given his life to Christ because Christ gave his life to him. And we're going to celebrate that through baptism together. Even though (laughs) the world says we must not be close together. Even though all these things we're trying to abide by. We are united in heart because God is for us. And we will celebrate new life together this morning. What a glorious God, a good God we serve. Father, we need you. We cannot do this on our own. We are not able to do what must be done. But you have done it all for us in Jesus. And we know, no matter how we condemn ourselves, no matter how others might condemn us, no matter how we might feel ostracized or isolated or alone in so many ways, or we might feel unable or incapable or so like failures and uh, inept or Lord, even if we don't recognize those things and we're blind to them, you can bring us hope as you show us our need for Jesus. So show us greatly our need for Jesus now. And let us fall again on our knees before you, singing your praises as we recognize again what you've done for us in Jesus. And help us to make much of you in our repentance, in our praises, in our relationships our friendships and our caring for one another and the way that we talk, the way that we sing, the way that we walk, the way that we endure with one another. Lord, help me to be a better father and husband and family member of this faith family. Help us to make much of Jesus because you have made so much of us in giving us Jesus. And therefore, we know you are for us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus, as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.